Thank you. You may be seated. Let's take the Word of God together this evening and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians, if you would. I want to encourage you tonight. I suppose I, I'd like to encourage myself. There was a time, you may remember, when uh, King David was away on battles and he returned to Ziklag and found that the city had been burned and that wives and children had been carried away. And uh, the men were so distraught, the men of David's army were so discouraged that they talked of stoning him. And the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And there are times when you have to encourage yourself in God. There are times when the word of no, no other man will do. And tonight I wish to encourage you and in the same breath encourage myself in the Lord. Ephesians, turn there with me, please. Ephesians chapter 3, pardon me, Ephesians 3. And I want to share with you a prayer. This is one of the Apostle Paul's prayers that are recorded for us in the New Testament. Many of his prayers are recorded, but many people believe this to be the greatest of his recorded prayers. Some people have even gone as far to say this is one of the height, the greatest heights of the New Testament as far as what this prayer contains. Because what Paul is praying for in this prayer, you, you might say, is, is the highest achievable goal of a child of God. It's quite amazing. And so in this prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians, we find some encouragements of what we could experience as Christians. And I believe what God wants us to experience, or else it wouldn't have been recorded in his inspired word. Ephesians chapter 3, let's begin reading together in verse number 13, and we'll read together down to the end of the chapter. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now, there is so much in this little portion of Scripture that we couldn't possibly dig it all out in one meeting. And I don't pretend to think I can do that in the space of 30 or 40 minutes. But I want to share a few things. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached a number of sermons from this one prayer. 
a number of sermons. And so I, again, do not pretend to think I can impart unto you all that is in this in just a short time. But I do want to point your eyes and your heart toward a few things tonight that I hope will encourage you. Paul is writing this, many believe, from some persecuted place. Many believe prison. In fact, he says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Not only was Paul writing from a place of tribulation and persecution, but many believe that the Ephesian church was also going through a place of tribulation and difficulty. By the way, you can, you can just about bank on it. You can just about understand that every church goes through tribulation and difficulties. It must. We must, the scriptures say, go through tribulation. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecution. It is a part of the Christian life. But unfortunately, it's not the enjoyable part. And also, unfortunately, we're usually not prepared for it. And when it does come, we usually think it's something terrible. And whilst I would not make light of tribulation, and the Apostle Paul doesn't either, there is something good to be gained from it. And Paul is encouraging himself and this church by this prayer. And with this prayer, he says to the people, the people of God at Ephesus, there is something you can gain. There is something you can attain to in life. And he gives this prayer. He prays that God would grant them a few things. Now look at it. He adds a lot to his petitions. So it's an awful lot to try to work through in a short amount of time, but we'll make a few comments and try to encourage you in it. But look at verse 16. I won't even go into the preface of, of of his prayer, or else we wouldn't have time, but that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Paul, his very goal, you could say, in pointing us to God, but his very basis of this prayer, he is praying this from a wealth of God's riches and glory. So he knows that this is not an empty prayer. By the way, sometimes we pray empty prayers, don't we? And I'm not trying to be critical. Trying to be honest. Sometimes we pray empty prayers. We make pray very general prayers, don't we? Lord, bless us. Well, that's it. I hope he does bless us. But let's be specific. And Paul is very specific in the things that are, that are found here. And one of the things he's specific about is that the request that he's about to make, the many requests that he are about, he's about to make, there is a reason to believe that they can be answered. Sometimes we make such general and wide prayer requests that they don't really seem possible or attainable. But Paul is praying from the basis that according to the riches of God's glory, answer these requests. Now, glory is a great motive for prayer. The glory of God. And the riches of His glory, the extent and the abundance of His glory, according to that, I make these requests. And look what he says. That He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened. Now, I like that first request, don't you? There are some days I need this more than others. 
There are some days I feel so weak, spiritually speaking, that it affects my body. It affects my mind. There are some days I feel so weak that I can't even think straight. And I don't want to get out of bed. And if I do manage to get out of bed, I don't know where to put my feet. And I feel like I got to drag one foot in front of the others. And so I like that the first prayer is that we might be strengthened. But watch what he says. Strengthened with might, I like that, by his spirit in the inner man. Now, the very first request that Paul makes is a spiritual prayer request. Let me just begin with this. Paul was a spiritual man. Everything he prayed for was spiritual. Everything that he aimed for was spiritual. He wasn't interested in filling his pockets with money, and he wasn't interested necessarily in his toenail being healed. He was interested in spiritual requests. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for physical healing, but I'm saying that our first prayer request, the, the things we ought to be praying for most ought to be those which are spiritual. And sometimes we forget that the battle that we're facing is a spiritual one. From the beginning of life until the end of life, it is deeply spiritual. And if we neglect to pray for that which is spiritual, we've missed it. Strengthened in the inner man with might by his spirit. There's only one way you'll be strengthened internally. There's only one way you'll be strengthened spiritually. There's only one way that you'll be able in the depths within to find strength, and that will be by the spirit of God himself. The one who gives us power, the one who gives us might, the way one who gives us strength. Wouldn't you like, fellas, the ones who just stood a moment ago, who said that they preached the word, wouldn't you like to be able to stand and be able to say like Paul, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom, didn't come with crafty words and intellectual words and deep theological words, but I came in demonstration of the spirit and of power that can only come as you're strengthened by the spirit in the inner man. That's the first request. Now, Again, I think it's good to pray for people to be healed. It's better to pray they'd be strengthened in their inner man. Better to pray that we would be strengthened there. Because when the inner man is strengthened, when the spiritual man is strengthened, you begin to see properly. Paul deals with this and he writes to the Corinthian church. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, some people would argue and say, well, the Christian is only, should only ever be spiritual, but oftentimes we're carnal. We're unspiritual. In, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Brethren, I, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. That's fleshly. You can tell a lot about somebody by the way they pray. And Paul's prayer began with spiritual requests, not carnal. I wanted to speak to you. He says, I couldn't speak unto you as a spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as the babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, and neither yet are ye able. Now, would you look here for a moment? There is a problem today in 21st century Christianity, and that is that most those who profess to be believers are not able to take meat. They're still on the bottle. That's a problem. That's a problem because we are meant to be growing, being strengthened in the inner man. We're meant to be 
becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. This has nothing to do with intellectualism, so don't worry. If you think, well, I've never gone to Bible college, I don't read very well, I don't know about these theological terms, it's not about that. It's about spiritual growth. And these people were carnal. They were babies. And he goes on and says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Because hitherto, up until this point, you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. Now, what's the sign of someone being carnal? Well, the first sign of someone being carnal is that you are an infant for too long. You're still a baby. You're still on the bottle. That's the first sign that you're a carnal Christian, is that you can't feed yourself. An infant, we know a little bit about infants. An infant can't feed themselves. An infant can't help themselves. An infant needs constant care and constant attention. And there my wife is holding an infant even now because he needs constant care and attention. So it is spiritually with many people who call themselves believers. But there's another sign of carnality. Verse number three, ye are yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk? As men, that means walk as everybody else. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another saith, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. So we must be careful. Because if we're not careful, we're emphasizing that which is external, carnality, rather than that which is internal. Spiritual strengthening, strengthening in the inner man, that we might be able to take on that which is more meaty, less milky. Go back to our text in Ephesians chapter 4. He prays that we be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Did you know the more I study the scriptures, the more I begin to realize that the Christian life is all spiritual? Do you remember what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Amen. It is possible for the child of God to be renewed every single day inwardly, spiritually. Look, it doesn't take a, doesn't take a scientist or a doctor to tell you that your outward man's dying. We are dying. We're perishing. Contrary to popular belief, we're not getting better, we're getting worse physically but not the case spiritually. Spiritually, we renew daily. Fresh life, fresh anointing, fresh mercy, day by day. We ought to rejoice that though I was beaten and bruised yesterday, I've been renewed today. That ought to give you hope. That ought to give you courage that no matter how you're buffeted, yesterday, today is a new day. And therefore, we can pray with Paul for strength by might, by his spirit in the inner man. Then he gives another request. Second request, verse 17. Many, of these, many believe that this is not just different requests, but really one request all rolled in together. And it could be, but look at the next emphasis in verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I love this. 
Paul is praying, many believe he's headed up, headed up a mountain to the highest peak of Christianity. And it begins by saying, let's get you strengthened every single day in the inward man. And when you've been strengthened in the inner man, I'm praying also that Jesus Christ would dwell in your inner man, in your hearts by faith. Well, you say, well, of course he does. If I've been born again, the Lord Jesus lives inside of me. And he will never leave me nor forsake me. Why does he pray that Christ would dwell in my heart? So let me tell you what he's saying. He's not saying that Christ would stay in your heart or that he wouldn't leave you. What he was saying is that Christ would stay in your mind and stay in your affections and stay in all you think and all you do that Christ wouldn't just dwell inside of you, factually speaking, but that Christ would dwell in every decision you make and Dwell on every thought in your head. Look, there's a great battle in the mind every single moment of the day. Satan is doing his very best. The world, the flesh, and the devil are doing their very best to creep into your thinking so that Christ is crowded out and the world is crowded in. Thinking about university and thinking about examinations and thinking about what you're going to do after university and thinking about children and marriage and problems and, and the church and strife and all of these things are seeking to push Christ out. And so Paul prays, I'm praying Christ stays there. That he won't be pushed out. No matter what you face, that Christ Jesus may be preeminent. That not yourself, not your problems, not your future, not your worries or concerns, that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. Faith is one of those core Christian values and characteristics that we can never walk away from. It's one of those foundational doctrines. You remember we've been looking at the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews at the doctrine of Christ and the foundational principle truths. Now, this is one of them, faith toward God. Remember we looked at it on Sunday? Christ dwells in our heart by faith. Well, look at Hebrews chapter 11 just briefly. You might say, but how? How is that possible? That Christ, the reality of Christ living in it within, we sing sometimes, Christ liveth in me. But the reality of Christ dwelling inside of me, how can that remain a part of my thinking, my way of life? I think we have a little bit of a clue in Hebrews 11, this great chapter of faith. There's so much said about faith, but in, especially in verse 13, there's a little clue, a couple of clues given to us. Look at it there. These all died in faith. He's talking about the, the, the witnesses that were mentioned above, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. But, watch this, there's a little progression here. Having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. How is it that Christ dwells in our heart by faith? How is it we take these truths and doctrines and they become more than words on a page, but a reality within and therefore a reality in the way we live out? Very simple. Not, no, pardon me for saying that. It's not very simple. It's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging. But look what the word says. Having seen them afar off. Here's where it begins. You read truth in God's word. And you say, man, I want that. How do I get there? How do I get that? How do I attain to that? You see it afar off. That's where it begins. 
And then look at the next phrase. And we're persuaded of them. It's not enough for you to read God's word. Somebody said a moment ago, praise God for his promises. Not enough to read his promises, but you've got to be persuaded and convinced that those promises are for you. It's not enough to read in God's word some of these wonderful doctrines and truths and say that was good enough for Paul and good enough for the church at Ephesus. But you've got to be persuaded that it's for you. For you. You see it afar off and you desire it and you want it. And then you're persuaded that it's for you. Persuaded of them and then embrace them. Now I love that thought. Very visual picture. An embrace is a hug or a you know what that is. A, 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 you are grasping, taking. Now this is not, don't misunderstand this, for sometimes uh, there's a lot of people today have the name it and claim it kind of a thing. This is not what this is. Name it and claim it. No, no, no. This is seeing in God's word truths and doctrines in the scripture. Being persuaded that they are real and true for today as much as they were then. And then embracing them. How do you embrace some of these things? How do you embrace the doctrine of Christ in you, the hope of glory? How do you embrace that, that, that doctrine that Christ dwells within us? Look at the next phrase. And confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. See that progression? You see it afar off. You're convinced it's for you. You embrace it by faith. And then you confess that you are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You begin to live life based upon those things that you've seen, been persuaded of, and have embraced. If still today your life is unaffected by the things that you read in God's Word, there's something, diff something strangely wrong. If you can read God's Word... If you can read these things and you can see them afar off and maybe even be persuaded of them, but yet these truths do not change the way you live your life. You see, these men like Abraham and Sarah, they heard the word of God. They saw the promises that God, he heard the promises God gave them, were convinced that those promises were true, embraced the promises and began to live it out. Packed up his bags and left home without even knowing where he was going. That was evidence. Some people say that was faith. No, that was evidence of faith that was already there. And our faith must be lived out. They confessed, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim in the land. Look, if you're building your kingdom here below, you've got it wrong. And so when Paul writes in Ephesians and he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, he's giving us this kind of an understanding. You read God's word, Christ dwelling within this unbro unbroken communion with the Savior, persuaded that it's possible, embracing it and beginning to live it. Begin to live it out. Now look what he says next. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Some have imagined there are three requests here, but I believe they're all a part of one with three aspects. Being rooted and grounded in love, being able to comprehend with all saints the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ with passive all knowledge. 
Now this right here, the heart of this prayer is in many ways the key. Look what he says. Being rooted and grounded in love. The central theme of Christianity is love. To remove that, you've broken down our faith. Now, I, I'm not, look, I'm not saying that we, we, some people have, have erred. They've made the mistake on emphasizing only that one thing. And I'm not saying that, but I am saying that if you emphasize anything else without this, you have failed. You failed. Because it is a very part of God's nature and character. God is love. It is the motive behind what God is doing. For God so loved the world. Because God so loved the world. Because of the love found between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Because of that, that union and that love there, it's acted out. And so therefore we find the, the motive and character of God is one of love. And therefore so should it be found amongst the people of God. And so he says, being rooted and grounded in love. Now, it almost is a preface. Being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints. Meaning, if we're not rooted and grounded in love, we won't be able to comprehend the love of God. If there's not a rooting and grounding, now, the predominant and prevailing characteristic in our preaching in our teaching, in our living, ought to be love. Rooted and grounded. Two words. You know what it means to be rooted? It's a, it's a picture of a tree. Huey's done tree surgery work for many, many years, and you can cut a tree down, but if its roots are what they ought to be, that tree will often grow back. I know that because Huey often trims our trees every year, and it's not long before they grow back because there's a good root system. And so what Paul is saying, what he's praying for, is that we would be rooted not in soil, but in love. That everything that grows from us, everything that sprouts from our life and our ministry and our teaching ought to be something that draws from love. Rooted and grounded. Rooted deals with a tree. Grounded deals with a building. It's foundation. Both of these illustrations, rooted and grounded, have to do with permanence. Going to be there for a while. Tree's not going anywhere because it's got a good root system. House isn't going anywhere because it's got a good foundation. You and I won't go anywhere if we're rooted and grounded in love. Always love. Roots beneath the surface, by the way. Foundation beneath the ground. If your love is not that which is unseen first, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. It doesn't matter how much you display love outwardly if it isn't something that has been rooted and grounded beneath the surface level. One of the failures we make as Christians is oftentimes our service and our love is merely external, not internal, not rooted and grounded. Now that deals many, in many ways with, with our love, being rooted and grounded in love, but not just our love, but this centerpiece is dealing primarily with the love of Almighty God. Look at it. Rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints, that's all of us together, what is the breadth, length, 
depth, height, whatever kind of measuring tool you want to use. I want to know as much of God's love, of the love of Christ as possible. That's what Paul prays. Now you think for a second. Uh, this deals with volume, by the way. These measurements deal with volume. Height and breadth and length and depth. If you were to measure a cube, you would say, well, let's, we're going to figure out the cube by finding out how tall the cube is, how wide it is, how deep it is, and you put those things together somehow mathematically, and Mr. David could explain that, and then you have the volume. Well, Paul is saying in a nutshell, I want you to know the volume of Christ's love. We're to measure how much water is in this glass. Somebody would be able to figure it out. We want to know the volume. How much is there? Paul says, I want you to comprehend the volume of Jesus Christ's love. Now, would you just for one moment stop? I'll just tell you right now, that's going to take us eternity to measure that love. It'll take us eternity before we begin to realize just how much he loves us. Think about this. One of the keys to survival, spiritually speaking, is a comprehension of his love. You won't survive. Because in understanding and comprehending the love of Christ, it allows us to face difficulties and trials knowing God's not trying to hurt me. God is not trying to destroy me. Satan may be, but God is not. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we know that all things work together for good because we're trying to comprehend the breadth and length and depth and height of his love. And the more we comprehend his love for us, particularly, remember he's, he's writing here to the church, particularly to you and your relationship with God because Christ dwells inside of you, the more we understand his love for us, the more victorious we will be. It's remarkable. And the Bible says God demonstrated his love toward us. That's the word we understand better. But God commendeth or God demonstrated his love toward us that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's where it begins. God began to reveal his love to you and I in this one fact. Would you look here for a moment? Before you ever thought of God, before you ever thought of loving Him, before you ever thought of wanting to have a relationship with Him, before you had any positive thinking about God, Jesus Christ died for you because God loves you. He proved it, and God proved that He loves you by Christ dying for you. That's what Paul writes to the church at Rome. God commendeth, he demonstrated his own love toward you and that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, the, the, the Lord Jesus didn't die for you because you're a good person. The Lord Jesus didn't die for you because you're a Christian. You're a Christian because he died for you. Don't get it backwards. Sometimes we act like, well, uh, the Lord Jesus will get on the cross and die for us if we decide we're going to be a Christian. No, because he died for us. Because he laid down his life for us. We shall be saved, can be saved. It's remarkable. That's where it began. By the way, that's just where it began. And then when Christ rose from the grave victorious and he ascended into heaven, the Bible says he took on a new role. Did you know that? 
we were meeting many years ago with a little family, had lunch together with a family, and after lunch, the father brought out a little book, a little catechism book, and began to ask questions to the children, and one of the questions is, where is Jesus Christ today? And one of the little boys said, put his hand up, sat up straight, he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Well, that's pretty good. And so the next question was, what's he doing? And the other little boy raised his hand and he said, he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. But that's brilliant. These little boys are learning and they got it right. Jesus has got a new role today. His role today is he's interceding. He loves you so much that he's praying for you. He's interceding for you every time. Look, are you going through a difficulty? Take courage, child of God. He's praying for you. Robert Murray McShane once said this. He said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the room next door, I could take on a thousand armies. He said, but the distance doesn't matter. He's still praying for me. He may not be in the door, room next door and I can't, may not be able to hear him, but he is seated at the right hand of God and he is praying for me today. But I ought to encourage you. This shows you his love. You pray for somebody when you love them. You intercede for someone when you love them. And so Paul is praying that we would begin to comprehend with all saints the breadth, length, depth, and height of love. And I could not, I don't pretend to be able in just a few minutes to speak about that deep love. I was taking Hadley to a piano lesson this morning and, I, and, I, and on the way home I was asking her about some of the songs she's learning and, and, I, and she's going to begin learning some hymns. And I thought, that's great. We need another pianist on standby. And, uh, and uh, she said that her piano teacher said, choose one, choose a hymn, and she'll help her. And I said, what's your favorite hymn, Hadley? And she said, she thought for a moment, well, she said, I like those Harvey girls. And uh, one of the songs they sing is, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And uh, that's a powerful hymn. Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And uh, really, that's what the Lord used to bring my attention to this text today. It is all around us. In fact, that's what Paul is trying to illustrate when he's talking about the breadth and length and depth and height. Not just the volume of Christ's love, but the volume of Christ's love in relation to you. Far above you. Far wider than your circumstances. Far deeper than your distresses. Think about that. That's the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ which passeth Knowledge. Now, you just think about that phrase for just a second. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Meaning, he's praying for an impossibility. He's praying that you would know something that you couldn't know. That you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Because there's something of Christ's love that is to be experienced, not just known. That's what it is, the love of Christ that passeth knowledge that is experienced in your darkest hour that is tangibly felt. James and I were spending a little time together today and, and uh, we were looking together at the scriptures and we talked about, we looked at Jeremiah, the Lord used Jeremiah here in the last couple of days to speak to me. And then one of those things of Jeremiah chapter 1, God was giving him some instructions and Jeremiah said, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. The word of the Lord came unto me. It's one thing when the word of God comes to us. That's very special. But it's another thing when God says, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified thee. I ordained thee. And then it's another thing when the Lord comes and touches us. 
Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. We know what that means. We, we say sometimes we sing together. Uh, there's an old little song we used to sing back in America. It was on a Monday, somebody touched me. Well, we know what that means. It sounds a little mystical and spooky, but we understand what that means. When the Word of God becomes more than just words on a page, but it becomes something that has been experienced. The love of Christ which passes knowledge. The love of Christ is so vast that it couldn't be described with words. Lloyd-Jones said this, If our knowledge of the Scriptures and of the doctrines of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has not brought us to the knowledge of the love of Christ, we should be profoundly dissatisfied and disturbed. Let me say that again. If all of our knowledge of the Scriptures and of the doctrines of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has not brought us to this, to the knowledge of the love of Christ, we should be profoundly dissatisfied and disturbed. If all your studying and all your learning and all your effort, if it doesn't bring you to the knowledge to know the love of Christ, why have we wasted our time? Knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge without the Spirit of God, without the love of Christ, Think about it. Then he says something very interesting. To know the love of Christ with passeth all knowledge. Look at the last thing. That ye might be filled with what? Paul says, I'm praying that you church at Ephesus, and we can apply it to us today. I'm praying that you church at Oxford might be filled with what? Filled with all the fullness of God. Now that blows my mind. Can't even understand it. To be filled with the fullness of God. One of the reasons Muslims really struggle with the divinity of Jesus Christ is they can't understand how God could be squeezed into a body. They really struggle. How could God become a man? How could Almighty God fit into flesh? Well, that helps me to believe this. The reality of Christ's deity, that He was indeed the Son of God, that He was indeed from heaven, the Eternal One, the Creator of heaven and earth, that He indeed, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Because of that reality, I can believe this, that we could be filled with the fullness of God. Because Christ in me, Christ lives in me. And if Christ lives in me, and if in Christ dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and Christ liveth in me, then I can and you can be filled with the fullness of God. Now, if that be the case, what on earth are we afraid of? If I can be filled with the fullness of Almighty God, why do we fear and tremble? Why do we worry? Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are filled with blessings and shall break. Filled with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. What are you afraid of? And Paul prays. Prays that we know 
this love of Christ which passes knowledge and that we might be filled with the fullness of God. This is something that exceeds our understanding. But in one and the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Think about that. He hath put all things under his feet, Jesus has, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. It's possible that the fullness, we could be filled with the fullness of God. That's the way I want to live. I'm tired of being full of myself, aren't you? I'm tired of being full of the world. I'm tired of being full of flesh, of myself. I want to be full, to be filled with the fullness of Almighty God. And then as if that wasn't enough, Paul tags onto the end of it. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He can do even more than what we just prayed. All that he just prayed, God can do more than that. I can't even think about more than that. I can't think of possibly how it could be any more than being strengthened in my inner man that Christ would dwell in my heart by faith, that I would be rooted and grounded in love, that I would comprehend with you all the breadth and length and depth and height of his love and to know the love of Christ that passes all knowledge and be filled with the fullness of God. And on top of that, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above it. Can I just look here for a moment? Sometimes we have such little vision and such little faith. We really do. We pray such little prayers, such little things. And we look at this and our eyes should snap wide open and think, hold on a moment. I've been living so far below what I could be living. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And the same prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus is the prayer that I want to pray for us. For us. There's more. There's more. We've only just begun. As our dear brother, Pastor Paul Bassett, would say, the best is yet to come. Go home, study that prayer. Read that prayer over and over. Ask the Lord to bring you to the depths of that prayer and to the heights of that prayer and to bring you as far as the east is to the west and discover the love of Christ in that prayer. Swim in that love. That's the words, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus it gives us the idea of being plunged into an ocean of his love. That's where I want to live. Understanding. And I want, to, I want to live out of that as well. Minister out of that. So much today is done out of strife and hatred. I'm tired of that. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. May the Lord help us. There's much more. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Let's pray together, then we'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, God, we need Thee. In this hour, we need Thee. And our prayer is like to that which Paul has prayed, and we ask, Lord, hear it for Thy sake. Grant it to us that we might be strengthened by might, by the Spirit in our inner man. Father, grant it unto us that we would be rooted and grounded in love that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of thy love. 
that we might know the love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge, that we would experience thy love, Lord, that we might become not just those who know thy love, but can show thy love. Father, fill us with thy fullness, almighty God, and help us to believe that thou art able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. May it all be done to thy glory. May we pray it according to the riches of thy glory, believing by faith it's possible. Meet us, meet us tonight where we are, and grant these petitions for thy sake. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name.